0: Let us turn in God's word this evening to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. The text that we consider this afternoon, this evening, is the fourth verse of this chapter, Romans 6. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the question that this text puts before us for our consideration this evening is this, were you dead and were you buried with Jesus Christ? Were you dead and were you buried with Jesus Christ? This is not a morbid question. This is not a theoretical or an abstract question. But this is a question that has implications for our everyday living. If you are not dead and buried, with Jesus Christ, then you would have no desire to live a life of gratitude unto him. If you were not dead and buried with Jesus Christ, not only would you lack a desire to live in gratitude unto him, but further you would lack the power to live in obedience unto him. But being dead and being buried with Jesus Christ we're given that power that comes from above. It's a question that has implications as well for our comfort. If you were not dead And if you were not buried with Jesus Christ by baptism unto death, then you have no comfort, no peace, no knowledge of the pardon of your sins, no confidence as you would stand before Jehovah God himself. This morning, as you came and partook of the Lord's Supper, your answer to that question was, yes, yes. I was dead, and I was buried with Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on, being buried with him by baptism unto death, that, like as Christ was raised up from the dead, By the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Let's consider this text this evening under the theme, Like as Christ was raised. First, we'll consider the fact that we are buried with Christ. Looking at the first part of the verse, buried with him by baptism into death. Second, raised with Christ, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. And then third, walking with Christ. The conclusion of verse 4, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The text begins by speaking of death and of burial. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Death and burial the grave marks the end of one's existence and one's place upon the earth. At the time of death, the power that that individual had upon this earth comes to an end, a sad end. At the time of death, Brain becomes inactive. The heart stops beating. The ability of that individual to rise up, to speak, are gone away. Immediately after death, there is a flurry of activity by loved ones as they prepare that body for burial. There is the making of plans for the funeral. Words are spoken at the memorial service. And then that body, lifeless, is put down into the ground. And at that burial, then that body begins the process of decomposition. Goes back to the dust from whence it came. Death. At the death of the individual, the place and the occupation that that individual occupied while on this earth, it comes to an end. It doesn't matter how important, how powerful, how wealthy that individual was when he or she walked upon this earth. But at the moment of death, all of the power and influence that that individual had over others ceases. It's absolute. And it's final. Our text speaks here of Jesus dying. Therefore, we are buried with Him. That's Jesus. With Jesus by baptism into death. Now, like as Christ was raised up from the dead. The text speaks here in, in referring to the one who died. It uses His official name, His title. It's Christ. The name Christ calls attention to the fact that He was an office bearer. There's no more important position that Jesus could have occupied upon this earth than the position that he had. Anointed with the Holy Spirit, he occupied the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. He was one upon whom many depended. He had gone throughout Galilee and throughout Judea performing miracles, teaching, healing, even raising the dead unto life again. He was instrumental in teaching his disciples how to be not fishers of fish, but how to be fishers of men. And then he commanded them to go out and bring forth his word. If a case could be made that somebody was indispensable upon this earth, that somebody was important, that he was leaned upon by others, then the case could have been made that Jesus Christ ought to remain upon this earth, the perfect office-bearer. We need him. But he died. And when Jesus Christ died, he experienced everything that it means for a person to die. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped inhaling and exhaling. He ceased to have power. He was lifeless. There was a flurry of activity on the Friday afternoon of the Passion Week as they took his body down from the cross. As Joseph of Arimathea boldly requested the body from Pilate, they took body. They put the body of Jesus in a tomb where man had never been laid before. And there all of the power, all of the influence, the important position that Jesus Christ had occupied while he was on this earth came to an end. It was final. For he was dead. And buried. Now, the question for us to consider this evening were you dead? And were you buried with Christ? The text answers that for us positively, stating, therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. It's not the easiest to understand. Buried with Him by baptism into death. It's made all the more difficult to understand by the reference there to baptism. We're buried with Him by baptism into death. We would expect baptized until life. We associate baptism with life. There's a new child who's born, and that child is presented by mother and father before the congregation, and the sacrament of baptism is administered to that child. There's hope for that child. There's optimism about the future of That child. So generally, when we think of baptism, we think of life. But now the Apostle Paul, here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not speaks not of being baptized unto life, but rather being baptized into death. Literally, here the idea is baptized unto death. There's movement here as One has this sacrament administered unto him. He moves unto death. Baptism ushers this person unto death and unto the grave. It kills. We're baptized unto death. How can we possibly make sense of this? We're baptized unto death. Must understand here, first of all, that when Paul speaks of baptism, he's not speaking here of the outward sign of baptism. We can draw a distinction, it's a helpful distinction to know the difference between the outward administering of the sacrament and the inner work of baptism, the inner spiritual baptism. The outward sign of baptism is what we with our eyes, our physical senses are able to behold as the minister sprinkles the water over the head of that child or in other uh, places, other, other denominations, as that child is immersed beneath the water. That's the outward sign of baptism. But in distinction from that, there is the inner and invisible work of baptism. Baptism. And the inner work of baptism is the work of the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit enters into the heart and the soul of that individual, and as the Spirit gives unto that individual a new and a heavenly life. The word that we use is regeneration. The Spirit gives to that individual life from Jesus Christ Himself. When Paul speaks here of baptism, he's not speaking of the outward sign of baptism. But Paul is speaking here of that inner and that spiritual baptism. We can't see it with our physical eyes. We can't sense it with our physical senses. And yet by faith we believe that the Holy Spirit has quickened us. He's regenerated us. And he does so by a spiritual baptism. And that's the sense then in which Paul speaks of being baptized unto death for what happens at the moment of regeneration, but we are given a new life to live out of, and thus we are dead unto sin. And that's the sense, then, beloved, in which we are baptized unto death. What is it that's put to death? at the moment of the believer's spiritual baptism? why It's the old man of sin. That's what's killed. That corrupt nature. Paul speaks of this throughout the context here. Romans 6 verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And then verse 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the sense, beloved, in which we are baptized, or whether we are buried by baptism into death. To confess that I am buried with Jesus Christ by baptism into death is to confess that... I have within me this new life of Jesus Christ. And I now seek to live out of that new life and I reckon myself, I judge myself to be dead unto sin. Yes, it is the case, the Christian acknowledges this, that while upon this earth, He's dead unto sin, but in principle, that is, but in beginning. The Christian acknowledges that for as long as he continues in his earthly pilgrimage, he still is going to have to fight against that old man of sin. He confesses with the Apostle Paul that the evil that he would not, that he performs at times. And yet acknowledging that we have this victory but in principle, we do not take away at all from what the Apostle Paul says here, that we are buried with Jesus Christ by baptism unto death. I'm dead unto sin. I believe I'm dead unto sin. I believe I'm dead unto sin because there is a new life that is within me. The Christian reflects upon these words. The Christian believes by faith these words. The Christian memorizes these words and hides these words in his heart so that he would not commit those sins forbidden by Jehovah God. At times when the Christian is tempted, it is well to reflect upon this truth. Who am I? I am dead unto sin. I've been buried with Jesus Christ by baptism unto death. That's how real and how strong that connection is with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ was there upon the cross, and as Jesus Christ died upon that accursed tree, and then was buried there in that tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. We were there with him. As our federal head, as the one who represented us as the head of his people, we were there with Jesus Christ. Buried with him by baptism unto death. Not a morbid thought. The necessary starting point for the Christian. First there's death and then there's life. The farmer understands this. He takes the seeds dormant of themselves and puts those seeds in the soil expecting that those seeds will germinate, that they'll grow up and that they'll bring forth life. First death, then life. And so confessing then that we are buried with Jesus Christ by baptism unto death, we go on then, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, Christ was raised, is the triumphant cry of the church. Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb looking for the body of their deceased and beloved Savior. They had hastily buried him on Friday afternoon, evening. And so they intended to come on Sunday morning and finish the burial process. They wanted to anoint body of Jesus. As they walked along the road to the tomb, they discussed how they would roll back the stone from the doorway and entering, ent- ent- entering into the tomb. But then as they got closer, they saw off in the distance that the stone had already been rolled away. There was an angel, brilliant white, sitting upon that stone. And as the women got closer to the, to the tomb, the angel addressed them. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Death and the grave, which had marked the end of Jesus, the end of his Physical life, the end of him occupying his position as Christ, prophet, priest, and king. Now had been overcome by his resurrection from the dead. He was raised to life. And he was not simply restored to the same life that he had prior to his death prior to Jesus Christ's death on the cross, he had a body that was capable of being injured, a body that was capable even of dying. He needed to have a body that was capable of death so that he could serve as the substitute sacrifice, the lamb who would be slain for the sins of his people. But now that Jesus Christ had accomplished that work of laying down his life on the cross for the sins of his people, he no longer needed to have a life that, or a body that was capable of dying. And so as he was raised up by the glory of God on the third day, God raised him not simply to the same life that he had previously, but he was given a resurrection life. He was given omnipotent life. Life. He was given a body that no longer was susceptible to injury and unto death. Verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. What's remarkable in this text is not only the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, but also How Jesus Christ was raised. The text tells us that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now it's somewhat unexpected here that the apostle would say that Jesus was raised by the glory of the Father. Why would he say by the glory of the Father instead of perhaps by by the power of the Father? That would make more sense. If we're going to perform this heroic deed, take that which is lifeless and raise it up unto life again. Then it makes sense that we would say that he performed that deed by his omnipotence, perhaps. Or why not his justice? That God raised Jesus Christ from the dead according to the justice of the Father. After all, the justice of the Father demanded that he not leave his Son there dead. In the tomb anymore, for the son had finished the work that the father had given him to do. So according to the holiness and the justice of God, he had to raise Jesus Christ up. But the Apostle Paul doesn't say according to the justice or according to the omnipotence of the father. But he says by the glory of the father. Glory. Sim, simple concept means beauty. It's what glory is. It's the revelation of beauty. It, it's the manifestation of perfections. The manifestation of the infinite perfections of the Father. So Jesus Christ was raised by the beauty by the, infinite, by the manifestation of the infinite perfections of the Father. To understand this, we must know that it is the will of God that His glory be revealed. God is infinitely beautiful, and it is His will that His people would acknowledge Him as such. But when Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, came into this world, the Scriptures teach us that Jesus Christ hid, as it were, from view the glories that He had as God. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant. And that phrase, that he made himself of no reputation, could be translated literally as he emptied himself. He emptied himself of the glories that he had. He still was God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He had all of the Love and grace and wisdom and power of God. But as Jesus Christ came into this world and was born in that lowly manger, Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation. He hid his glory from view. All of Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry long, then, he continued hiding his glory from view. View. Oh, there were glimpses of that glory. There were times where that glory became more manifest unto those who were with him. When he performed miracles, when he fed the thousands of people, then the people received a glimpse of that glory, the beauty of God. Or when the disciples, three of the disciples, were gathered with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration... Then they saw a momentary glimpse of that glory of Jesus Christ. But for the most part, Jesus hid His glory from view while He was upon this earth. And that was perhaps most especially the case that the glory of Jesus Christ was hid from view as His body was hanged upon that cross. Who would say that this is beautiful? Who would say That this is the revelation of the infinite perfections of God. As there the blessed body of Jesus Christ was hanged on that accursed tree. And then they took his lifeless body down and put it in a tomb. And his body began the process of decomposition. Returning to the dust. If ever the glory of God was hid. It was when God's only begotten son was in the tomb. For the glory of God to be revealed. It was necessary that Jesus Christ be raised up from the dead in order that again He might shine forth with the infinite perfections of God. Raised on the third day by the glory of the Father. As Christ was raised, so we are raised. That like as Christ was raised ah. can consider our resurrection from two perspectives here. First, a future resurrection. Second, a present, immediate resurrection. The future resurrection that the Christian anticipates is that even as Jesus Christ was bodily raised from the dead and given newness of life, so we, at the last day when Jesus Christ will return on the clouds of glory and when the trumpet shall sound, can expect that our bodies will be raised up from the dead if We have died before Jesus Christ returns. Our bodies raised up from the dead will be given new life, perfect life. We will not simply be restored to the same full of life that we enjoy presently on this earth. But we will be raised to a higher life, to resurrection life. We, with Jesus Christ, will be given bodies that are not susceptible to injury, to disease, or death. We'll be given bodies that are perfectly prepared for life with God in heaven. What comfort, what confidence we have, even as we place the bodies of love in the grave. We know that Jesus Christ has the victory over death and the grave. So we cry out in triumph then, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory our Lord Jesus Christ. But then it's not just the future resurrection that we as Christians anticipate. There also is a present resurrection. Already now, we are raised. This is true because our head has been Raised up. If we were crucified, if we were dead, if we were buried with Jesus Christ, then it follows also that we were raised with Jesus Christ. So strong and so intimate is the bond that the church enjoys with Jesus Christ that already. Now we stand triumphant over death and over the grave. Galatians 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. If it is the case that Jesus Christ has been exalted to God's right hand and sits there at God's right hand enjoying the blessedness of fellowship with God, then already we in principle are raised through our head Jesus Christ. And enjoy that victory over sin and over the grave. And so when the Christian that is filled with the knowledge of this resurrection that presently he has. The Christian is convinced within his heart and in his soul that he must walk in newness of life. And that's how the Apostle Paul concludes this verse. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. If I have tasted of the goodness of the Lord, if we were able as a congregation to come to the Lord's table this morning and taste of that heavenly meat and drink prepared for us by Jesus Christ, then as our souls are nourished by that meat and drink, We are committed to walk in newness of life. This is the work that the Christian is determined to do. Paul does not say here that we should be carried along in newness of life. One can speak of God sustaining us and God carrying us along, but that's not what the Apostle Paul says here, that we are carried along. In newness of life. He says we should walk. This is an activity that the Christian performs. Walking in newness of life. It's an activity that arises out of thanksgiving. For what God has done for me. This walking in newness of life is the walk of gratitude. This walking in newness of life is a humble and a grateful obedience unto Jehovah God. This walking in newness of life is living as a servant. Serving Jehovah God, who has set me free from the bondage and the power of sin. It's a new life. It's fundamentally different. Than the old life. Or as the old man delighted in sin, entertained evil desires and lusts, or as the old man allowed the mind to wander and think base and evil thoughts. Justifying them. It's okay to covet. It's okay to lust. It's okay to desire that which God has not given me. Whereas that characterized the old man, the new man lives seeking the kingdom of heaven seeking Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And so we walk. It's not always exciting. We're walking. We're putting one foot in front of another. But we walk. Day by day, seeking the grace, rise up from our beds to go about the callings and the vocations that God has given to us as mothers as wives as fathers as husbands as single people as widows as widowers we walk We walk with our eyes fixed on the finish line. So many obstacles that we face as we walk in this newness of life. Think of a traveler who's taking off on foot, going on a long journey. There's hot deserts that he must walk through. There's mountains, steep cliffs that he must climb up. As those who tease him, mock him for walking. Why don't you just stop walking? But always the Christian has his eyes fixed by faith on Jesus Christ, who was raised up from the dead. And so he sets aside the weight that would so easily beset him, which is the weight of his sins. He prays, he reads the word of God, and nourished day by day, he walks in newness of life. May God so strengthen you, that until at last God delivers you off this earth, that you and I might be faithful, walking in newness of life. Amen. Let us pray. Father and our God in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. May thy word be a power by which our lives are transformed. May thy word comfort us in our distress. May thy word fix our eyes by faith upon thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who is glorious, and who sits enthroned at thy right hand as King of kings and Lord of lords. Send us home with thy blessing and keep us throughout all of the events of the week ahead. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.